Hello, welcome back. My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari. This is the Great Big History Podcast. Today, we do China from 1945 or so to 1990. China represents a third way. Even today, it represents a third way. The idea of non-Western industrialization, that makes it different from Japan. Japan is is a non-Western country that industrialized in a Western way. And so that China was going to do it differently. And that third way, for the most part, failed until about 1990. 1980, at the very least, the very earliest, China was a failure as a major um, opposition to the United States and the Soviet Union. So, and now it's a it's a huge success. So, as it's entered the world markets as it's industrialized, as it's become a manufacturing and export-driven economy. But a lot of that, they gave up communism and they changed their economy. So, so China wants to represent the third way, a non-Western industrialization. It was going to make um, Asia... Rich, make Asians rich without all of the same problems that West, that Westernization, colonialism, imperialism, and industrialization represented for the Europeans. So there's a continuation of the Civil War from the 30s, and the communists win. Mao, M-A-O, Mao Zedong, Mao wins in 1949. The nationalists flee to Taiwan. Also, they're also called Republicans. The nationalists flee to Taiwan. They were on our side. We were their allies. This is a guy called Chiang Kai-shek, was the military dictator of this group. Chiang, C-H-I-A-N-G, Kai, K-A-I. Shek, S-H-E-K. Chiang Kai-shek. We helped them flee to Taiwan and set up a completely separate country that is called China. Taiwan's is the Republic of China. It, it is China. Um, how do they lose? They're Democrats. They will win the Second World War. They're on our side. We helped them. Well, it was massive corruption and incompetence. There was the question, who lost China? And Republicans blamed Democrats, and Democrats blamed Republicans, and everybody blamed Chiang Kai-shek. And there's a famous book called The Man Who Lost China. It's like, you ran China, and then you lost it to the communists. So China immediately became, because the nationalists were on the U.S. side, so the communists went to the Soviets, so the Chinese communists became Soviet friends, which makes sense. They're communists. And so this creates a crisis in the United States. Who lost China? This creates 
uh, early Nixon and McCarthy, that it must be commies in the U.S. government that are – this is the original deep state if you are watching uh, Fox News today. This is the original there, – there are commies in the government that are secretly working with the Soviets or the Chinese to undermine the United States. And we've got to go find them. Nixon made his his name by being part of the House Un-American Activities Committee. Um, you'll get the blacklists that come out of this. Hollywood writers will get blacklisted for being like communists back in the 20s and the 30s. When communism wasn't yet seen as bad. Or it wasn't known how bad communism... It was seen as an economic system rather than a pro-Stalinist dictatorship system. Uh, McCarthy will will make his name going after commies everywhere. He'll see commies in everything. And more importantly, his, his, came, his power came from fear. Uh, he had a briefcase, which he would say is full of names of communists within the government, but never opened the briefcase. That kind of thing. Like, it was all about fear. And I know things. And if you knew what I knew, you'd be horrified. And so, that is a tactic that still exists in political campaigns. Where someone claims to know so much more than the public. Oh, there's so many dirty secrets. If you only saw what I saw. If you only knew what I knew. So, it's very clear China is behind. They've had massive civil war. They had... The war with Japan. Uh, their economy is devastated. And so Mao decides he's going to transform China from a poor agrarian country into an industrialized one. He's going to make China great. China has the population. It could have the money to do this. And so this is the great leap forward. From 1958 to 1960. The fact that lasts only a couple years tells you it's not going to be very successful. And the idea is we don't need the West. We can industrialize on our own. And so he kicks out the, the Soviet experts, the Soviet allies. Why? Because the Soviet allies were like, dude... Make China like the Soviet Union. We know how to run a country. We defeated the Nazis. We conquered Eastern Europe. We'll help you. We even help you with nuclear technology. Um, because in the early 50s, the idea was nukes weren't that bad. Nukes were the next generation of war. And so we'll even help you with nuclear technology. But you have to do what we say. And Mao was like, F you, man. I didn't win. I didn't kick out the Japanese. I didn't kick out the nationalists just to be told to do it by you people. And so 
you can see the dynamic. The, the Soviet Union, it's, it's the imperialist dynamic. The Soviet Union has the expertise and the money and the knowledge to help. But it comes, that help comes with strings. You have to do it our way. You're going to be our little brother. And the Chinese have the hubris of being like, dude, we go back 5,000 years. We don't need you. We'll figure it out. So they have the hubris, but not the expertise. And so what happens is collectivization of farms. We're going to have communism. We're going to have collectivized farms. We're going to get rid of all of these uh, small landowners. They're, they're obviously nationalists. They're not going to be communists. So we're going to change the entire agrarian economic system. We're going to collectivize the farms. Everyone's going to work together. And it turned out, just like in the Soviet Union, to be a disaster. You have mass starvation. Mass starvation. You should ask your grandparents if they were ever told to eat all the food on their plate because there was starving children in China. When I was a kid, it was starving children in Africa. But when my parents were kids, it was starving children in Africa. Uh, not Africa, in China, excuse me. Starving children in China. And that's this. That's this poverty. That's this starvation. Mass starvation. You have a corrupt bureaucracy. A massively corrupt bureaucracy. Why? Um, you have pilfering. You have people who are stealing money. But a lot of it comes from you were punished if you didn't hit your targets. And you see this in lots of systems. There's lots of systems. Lots of, lots of business systems do this. Um, the, the No Child Left Behind in the United States did this with, with education. If you do not graduate X amount of kids, you will lose your federal money. Well, then lots of places said, well, we'll just change what it means to graduate. Like if you're going to punish us based on graduation, guess who graduates? Everybody graduates. Wow, we went from 60% graduation to 80% graduation. Look at how awesome we are. So you just changed it. You just lowered the standards. Um, there's lots of these stories, the anecdotal stories, but there's lots of stories that pop up in the news about the smart kids being told you have to show up and take the tests, the national tests. Why? Because we need to get our numbers up. So you have to show up. We have to take these national tests, get your numbers up. If you get the numbers up, we get our money. And so it's it's an invitation to corruption, to not being honest. So you got punished if you missed your targets. So you just made up fake targets. So they say, oh, you have to make, you have to grow 20 tons of food. Okay. Well, either... You get 20 tons of food. Or what if you don't get 20 tons of food? Well, one is you 
just make up the numbers that you send up the chain of command. Nobody from from up above is coming to inspect you. So you send the paperwork in. They say, oh, we have 20 tons. Okay, great. You made your numbers. Here's your money. Or if there is someone inspecting you, you buy 20 tons from somewhere else, from, from another farm somewhere else. Or you just pay off the inspector. So that the idea is, as, <coughs> as the demands are made from the top down, the information then flows up from the bottom up, but the information is telling the top exactly what it wants to hear. Oh, look at all the numbers. But the reality like, is that we made two tons of food, so we're minus 18. So here, the top of the, of the bureaucracy thinks, we're doing great. Look at all this. And look, you have a number. I'm supposed to get 20 tons. What if I make 25 tons? Hmm. What if my paperwork says, oh, we made 25 tons. We made more than we were supposed to. Aren't we going to get even more rewarded? And so you have this corruption because you have fake numbers. This is, the, this is fake news because since you got punished from the top down for not hitting your unrealistic numbers, it was you had every incentive to fake those numbers so that then the top of the bureaucracy didn't know what was actually going on in its country. And ultimately, this is why No Child Left Behind failed as a system. It created the same kind of top-down incentives and punishments without understanding what was going on on the ground. There was no way the schools in Camden were suddenly going to triple their graduation rate. They simply weren't going to happen. Not without a massive investment in the neighborhood without Camden changing. Like, so there was no new money for the school, no new money for the city. And then you say, well, we're going to punish you if you don't just triple your numbers. Well, it's not a surprise that that doesn't happen in any kind of realistic fashion. And so what it gives everybody along the, the path of this, of the bureaucracy, an incentive to lie, an incentive to be corrupt. Because the reality can't match the fantasy of the demands, and that's exactly what's going on in China. And what you get is mass starvation. Because the government doesn't know what it really had, what food it really has, where we have food, where we don't have food. There's no ability to respond to problems. We also get forced industrialization. 
ah, well, these Western countries are industrialized. They make stuff. So we're going to make stuff. Hey, we're going to build a big factory and you're going to work in that. Well, the problem with that is, just like in the Soviet Union, you're taking peasants who for thousands of years have farmed and now saying, be an industrial worker. Well, they don't know how to be an industrial worker. They don't have the education. They don't have the literacy. They don't have the tech technological background. Oh, we're going to build a factory based on a Soviet model. Great. How many of you have ever been to the Soviet Union? None. Nobody has. They're poor Chinese farmers. And so this creates a giant failure. And no place in this system was better at this than the backyard steel shops. The idea was we're going to get steel production up. So we're going to make small furnaces and make steel in the backyard. Now, that's a ridiculous notion. It's a ridiculous notion. Steel is massive. That's why it's so in, 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 it's such an important indicator or was to an economics economy's health. Because it was, it took so much energy, so much craft, so many people to make. The steel mills in Pittsburgh are massive. You can't do that in someone's backyard. You can't do that in some small neighborhood. Hey, we're going to have a neighborhood steel mill. Woo! Right next to the, to the, to the shuffleboard. You, you can't. And so they built these steel mills. They couldn't get hot enough. There was no techno technological. It was basically what was supposed to be a steel mill was basically the old idea of the blacksmith place. Well, you can't get the technology hot enough to make the steel. You can't get rid of all of the impurities. You can't do it at scale. And nobody had any knowledge of how to do this. And so it's a complete Failure. The Great Leap Forward is a complete failure. Which gets us the Cultural Revolution, because this look makes Mao look terrible. Mao is, is basically revolutionary leader, great figure, but an economic disaster. Uh, millions of people are dying. I mean, as an economic leader, he is a complete disaster. So he's going to be pushed out of the way. The party, the Communist Party, looks at Mao and says, Mao, thanks. That was great. You, you, you conquered China. You reunited China. You kicked out the Japanese. You kicked out the Americans. Thanks. But you are messing this up. So we are going to push you and a bunch of your cronies out of the way. And Mao said, uh-uh, I ain't going. And that's the Cultural Revolution. The Cultural Revolution from 1966 to 1976 is a fight, is a civil war within the Communist Party for who will control China. Will Mao control China? And the Cultural Revolution only ends basically with Mao's death. 
will Mao control China or will other groups control China? Now, this is not a fight for democracy. This is a fight within the Communist Party. But Mao ain't going ain't gonna to be pushed aside quietly. And so he's got the problem of the Great Leap Forward. It's a failure. There's no way you can't say it's a failure. Millions of people are starving. China is poor. The industrialization is a complete failure. So why? Why did it fail? And guess what Mao did? If you are a millennial, you know what Mao did. He blamed the millennials. He blamed young people. They're not tough enough. Back in my day, we hid in the mountains and fought nationalists and the Japanese, and we won. Kids today live in their cities and go to university, and they don't know what it is to be a real communist, to have real sacrifice. They get their participation trophies. They get to be in the Communist Party without even having to kill a Japanese person. What is that? Did you, the kids today, invade Taiwan? No. We invaded North Korea and kicked out the Americans. So one part of this, and you know this well, is to blame young people for not being tough enough. And the young people are like, what the F? We're doing exactly what you told us to do. You told us to go to school. We went to school. You told us to go to university. We went to university. You told us to get a good job. We got a good job. What do you want from us? You gave us the participation trophies. You raised us. And so this is the lesson, ladies and gentlemen, to learn. If you're a millennial or you're soon to be Generation Z and you're getting pooped on by boomers about how great it was back in the day and how weak you people are and how selfish you are and how lazy you are. Every generation does this to every generation that's coming next. And they do it because they're about to die and they have to give up power and they don't want to do that. They've been running the show for so long. They have forgotten what it was like when they were young and their parents pooped on them. See, remember the boomers today that are pooping on you for being lazy and obsessed with your phones. They were long-haired, drugged-out hippies. Oh, and we're going to talk about them. Back in the 60s, listening to the Grateful Dead, they didn't get a job. They went on tour with a band to listen to songs. They got in their VW microbus and went to Woodstock, where they were drugged out for three days. In the rain. They didn't even know enough to get out of the rain. They grew their hair giant long and then never took a bath. They experimented with communism and collectives out in the West. Free love. No economy. Watch movies like um, Easy Rider.
and now they're gonna poop on you. The the hypocrisy is amazing. The hypocrisy is amazing. I understand it. You on you know it. You're living it. Um, they're obsessed with participation trophies, but they're the ones who gave you the participation trophies. And then they're like, oh, that makes you weak. So Mao did the same thing in China, and that's the Cultural Revolution. So one is urban, wimpy, 20-somethings who aren't real communists, who never fought in a real war, are a problem. And the second is anti-Western culture. Soviet culture, Soviet communism, but also American, uh, European culture too. So we're going to kick out these two pieces. We're going to modernize these two pieces. And so part one is the destruction of Western foreign cultural influence. Technology, education, music, literature, even Buddhism. Because remember, communism is is anti-religion. Religion is the opium of the people. And so, and Buddhism is not Chinese. Buddhism comes from India. And so it's even anti-Buddhism. Now here, there you should know there's a giant problem with this. Europe, Western culture has dominated the world from what? 1700? Certainly by 1800. So for 200 years, whether it's European or American, economics and culture and military have dominated the world so what technology are you getting rid of? European, if you're getting rid of European technology, Western technology, you're getting rid of the most modern technology. If you're getting rid of modern uh, European Western education, you're getting rid of the most modern education, the most modern knowledge. If you're getting rid of music, literature, you're getting rid of Western music and literature. Because that's where the most innovation has come from in the last two, three, four hundred years. That's why in History 101, we barely talk about Europe. And in History 102, we talk about Europe all the time. And even the kicking out of Buddhism, the destruction of Buddhism is a problem. Because Buddhism is from India, yeah, but it is Chinese. It comes from India, but it is Chinese. And there's a whole process in which it became Chinese. In which it redeveloped, in which China sucked in Buddhism and then recreated it to fit China. And the whole point of this is to become more Chinese. But the problem is, is that the, 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 the world isn't Chinese anymore. The world is Western. It's European. Like, you could have a China for the Chinese in the Ming Dynasty or the Tang Dynasty, where China was the most important economic unit of East Asia. 
it wasn't the most important unit in East Asia anymore. So one is to kick out all of this, this, this Western knowledge. That includes instruments. That includes Bach and Beethoven. And what do you replace it with? So the second thing is you get the students and the intellectuals to leave the cities, to become farmers, to learn what it's really like. What the Cultural Revolution did was the equivalent of a Republican president today in America saying going to those liberal cities and universities in Berkeley, in New York, L.A., Hollywood, and saying you can't live there anymore. You have to live with real Americans in rural countryside. It's taking all the kids from schools in liberal Philadelphia uh, private and Catholic schools and sending them out to be farmers in Lancaster County. Be woodworkers in Lancaster County. The idea is we're going we're gonna to kick you out of the city and make you farmers so you can appreciate what real Chinese are like. And you're going to learn the values of real Chinese in real China. Instead of being wimpy, and there's always this kind of vague homosexual notion to it. You're, vague, you're wimpy, vaguely homosexual, overeducated losers who live in the cities and live in these pampered life. That you don't, you don't have the real, you're not real Chinese. You're not, and Sarah Palin said this. Sarah Palin in 2008, and others have done it too, but she, she was the one that just strikes me, and I just remember this. She got up in front of a crowd. I th she got up in many crowds, but it was in a crowd, I think, in North Carolina, where she said, I'm so glad to be here in front of real Americans in real America. And what did that mean? That meant rural white Christian people were real Americans with real American values. So what does that mean about me? A Northeastern liberal living in a city and suburb. What she's saying is you're not a real American. You don't have real American values. Now, I will argue with that. I actually have a great argument that says urban America has, has more American values. But that's not here or there. The point is, is that's exactly what Mao did with the Cultural Revolution. Except he had the power to actually move people, to take all those uh, rich, liberal, urban kids of Harvard and Berkeley and pick them up and move them to rural Nevada and be, be, be cowboys. And so what's the result? The result is a complete and utter disaster for China. The great leap forward is starvation. 
the cultural revolution is going to murder a whole lot more people because there's plenty of people who say, no, I'm not going. What do you do with all your intellectuals? You could send them out to the countryside or, as in Cambodia, you murder them. Because here's the problem with the knowledge in your head, you still have it. So what prevents that urban intellectual from going out to the countryside and then corrupting the minds of the pure Chinese farmer with their university, wimpy, vaguely homosexual ideas? Well, we just murder them. And so you have starving children in China. Economically, China is a complete catastrophe. It goes from being one of the richest places in the world to an utter and complete catastrophe in a couple hundred years. Imperialism and colonization had something to do with that. The Japanese invasion and the Chinese Civil War had something to do with that. And then Mao running and communism running the show from 1945 to 1980 contributed to that. You get the one China policy in the 1980s because China couldn't feed itself. So even when Chinese economy was begins to grow in the late 70s, the population was growing too fast. It was eating up all the gains. And so what they had was a dictum. You can only have one child. Which means a, you now are perverting demography. And one of the things that you're going to do is murder a lot of girls. Because there's no, there wasn't a social welfare system. There was communism. But how well did that social welfare system work in a corrupt communist system? The answer is badly. And so the Chinese system was that sons took care of parents. As in America, it's daughters who take care of parents. But in China, it was sons take care of parents. Daughters marry another family and they leave. They're gone. And so if you could only have one child, you can't have a daughter because she's going to marry into another family and leave. You need to have a son. And so you get infanticide. You get the murdering of daughters. So that today, there's a massive imbalance I want to say it's like 200 million people in an imbalance in China. More boys than girls. But I, I don't know if it's, it's... It's a large number because China has 1.5 billion people. I thought I saw it was to go... Either it is or going to be 200 million people. Meanwhile, in this economic disaster, some 60 million people die, mostly from starvation and the economic turmoil. But a lot of people during the Cultural Revolution will be murdered as well. Some 60 million people. And the interesting thing is, there's no official records of this in the archives. Now, I haven't seen them. I haven't gone. I am not a Chinese scholar. But I've read a couple places. Um, one was an interesting article on photographic evidence. There are no photographs of the Great Leap Forward in the Chinese archives. 
Now, that means there's fake history. The idea was, now, you had people to take pictures because the Great Leap Forward was supposed to be China becoming a modern country. And so the Chinese government obviously sent photographers out into the countryside to document the great success that the Great Leap Forward was going to be. So where are the documents? Where are the photographs of starving Chinese people? Where are the documents of failed steel mills? Where are the documents? They don't exist. But they did exist. They had to have existed. And so I've read a couple of articles that there should be millions of photographs of the Great Leap Forward. And they don't exist. It's a hole in history. Where did they go? And so you, your official records are either made up, falsified, or destroyed, or they're hidden somewhere else so that there is no official records in the archives. So you have fake history. 60 million people are dead, and there's no history of that. Like, say what you will about slavery in America. Go to the National Archives and you'll see bills of sale. You'll see um, diaries of auctions. You'll have photographs of slaves, of whippings, of lynchings. Say what you will about the history of the United States. We have it. It exists. This is, in fact, one of the things that people are worried about with Donald Trump's administration is where are all of the documents going? Where are all the emails going? Where are all where is all the history? All of this stuff is supposed to be preserved. Is it being preserved? Jared and Ivanka's every email is history and supposed to go to National Archives. Are they? Are they saving those things? We saw the problem with this with Hillary Clinton's emails. The 30,000 emails that don't exist that those were private emails or they were claimed to be private emails from Hillary and from lawyers. Are they really private emails? We don't know. And see, there's the, the mix between the two of what's official, what's history, and what's private and unimportant to government. And so we're seeing this play out now, but th this kind of falsification of history was going on in Mao's time. The Cultural Revolution ruins a generation of government, of science, of education. Government functions collapse, and the economy returns back to basically 19th century agrarian. Any gains that had been made in the 20th century are ruined. Universities are destroyed. Chinese art, architecture, literature, they're all ripped up by their roots because most of them have been taking on um, Western ideas. Because the Western ideas were the most innovative. So they rip it up by its roots. You're returning China to a 19th century pre-imperialist um, era. But to 
you're ripping up everything. You're destroying everything that's been built upon that imperialist hundred years. Except the AK-47. They'll keep the AK-47 machine gun. They'll keep that. Chinese universities become worthless. Now, I know I'll have students who will say, wait, wait, wait. Remember, one is, this is basically till 1990. Chinese universities are changing. But also the university is... is the universities become worthless. This is why. This is why I have taught Chinese students from China. And yet, you people are not like, dude, I'm at Canton County College, but I really wish I was in China going to university. They travel 7,000 miles to come here. You are not traveling 7,000 miles to go there. That tells you all you need to know about their university system. Chinese universities become worthless. Now, that is stunning because Chinese universities or whatever you want to, whatever the Chinese version of the university is of higher education is 2,000 years old. It is stunningly awesome in its age, in its Confucianism, in its, in its, in its ability to create an educated elite that can run a country. Chinese universities are some of the best in the world for the longest periods of time in the world. And Mao reduced them to worthlessness. He obliterated a generation of professors, of engineers, of artists. A 2,000-year history of higher education got wiped out in 10 years. Chinese universities still haven't recovered. Some departments have, and I'll get the students who says, oh, the, the edu- engineering of this one, one school is really good. And uh, great, that's awesome. But how's their history department? How's their sociology department? How's their economics department doing? How's their minority studies department doing? How about religious studies? Tibetan studies. How are those departments doing? Great. Engineering is doing well. Well, that makes sense. The government's going to pour money into engineering in order to create a generation of engineers to help industrialize the country. And that's been very successful. Congratulations. But where's the arts and humanities? Where are the Nobel Prize winners in literature? I listen to Korean pop music. Where's the Chinese pop music? Popular in China? Yeah. Where else? And so, since 1990, there's been a reconstituting of the university systems. Really since 1980, but the first 10 years is simply just rebuilding. But since 1990, there's now more money. But what happened 
between 1960 and 1980 to the Chinese university system that had 2,000 years of history should worry you. Because if it can happen there, it can happen anywhere. It was basically a dark age of higher education. So that's where we're going to end with China in 1980. And take care.